We turn our attention to those ten words this morning. The covenant obligations given by God to His people as we get into Exodus 20. We hear these again, reiterated by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Remember from last week as we were introduced to these ten words, these are the family instructions from God to His people. They're going to live in relationship with Him, relationship with others in the community. Jesus summarizes this law in the New Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, That's the two-part summary um, of these commands. But how the Ten Words, how the Ten Commandments are actually uh, recorded uh, on uh, the tablets, we're not exactly sure. And There appears to be this natural division between a love for God in those first four commandments, the, the tablet one of the commandments, and the second tablet, a love for neighbor. The commands that go with that, commands five through ten. But even the church, we don't have a consensus on what or how these ten words have been um, divided. One example is found in the, the Lutheran tradition. It combines the no images and not taking the Lord's name in vain into one command. And then it divides out uh, the covenanting command into two commands, not coveting your neighbor's wife and then not coveting anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's how they would divide those up. Um, and there's a different uh, way in the Jewish tradition. It looks a little different. We're going to use the historic uh, reform division of the Ten Commandments uh, in our reading over the next several months. Uh, so we're going to read the introduction, that preamble that we looked at last week, and then the stipulations to follow. Uh, which this week is verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is how God begins laying down these covenant obligations. Let's pray. Lord, as the rain, the snow falls to accomplish its purpose, does not return Lord, so Your Word will perform what You have intended it to perform in our hearts, in our lives. It will not return to You empty, but will accomplish all that You purpose. Lord, we're asking You to do that now in our midst. That You would speak to us through Your Word. We're grateful that You do this. We pray that You would make us attentive in these moments. That You'd speak faithfully through Your servant. That which is unhelpful you would block out. That which is useful to grow us and mature us in godliness that you would work in deep. We pray that you would do this. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've tried with varied success in our home over the last uh, several years to give each member of the home some responsibility You might consider these chores. Some of them are considered chores uh, for the children as well as for mom and dad. Things like cleaning a room, vacuuming the house, going outside and weeding the garden. Usually don't have many volunteers for that. Um, And then other little helps that we rotate from week to week. Maybe you're helping to prepare supper or uh, setting the table or doing uh, the dishes afterwards. We give, we give these little jobs you know, to establish some routine, some order to the home, be good stewards of the time that 
uh, God has given us. It also helps you know, keep the kids from killing each other from time to time when they have just. Sometimes we have to come up with jobs on the spot. Okay, you need to do this now. Um, but after a while, that, that rhythm you know, sets in. The kids and mom and dad know what to expect. Uh, so something necessary for the smooth operation of our home. Uh, and to encourage life-giving service and helpfulness as a natural response, which we know isn't all that natural for kids or adults uh, as like. Uh, so these, these obligations, these rules, help keep us on that road towards um, maturity and godliness. But it goes much deeper than who sets the table or who's drying the dishes for the week. These are the, the tangible expressions of that enduring law that we need, that God gives us, that we need to live rightly, joyfully, purposefully in this world. Uh, so we're going to ask ourselves three questions. Every one of these ten words that we look at, and this will serve to structure our examining of the commands. So you can expect to, uh, to hear this again, the same questions for each of the next nine sermons or so. And the first question is, why do we need this command? What does it tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about our God? The God that we worship who has brought us in relationship to Him. And then if we know that all in the Old Testament is looking forward to and, and pointing to Jesus, we must ask ourselves, how does Jesus fulfill this command? Because Jesus has come and not just obeyed, but fulfilled the law, then it reveals a a, a deeper, more expansive interpretation uh, of the law than perhaps our our forefathers had at Mount Sinai. Uh, We now live by these commands as they relate to the person and work of Jesus. And finally, what does obedience to this command look like? How does it apply Uh, today in the lives of those who are in Christ. So why do we need this command? How does Jesus fulfill this command? What does obedience to this command look like? Now thankfully we don't have many golden calves uh, sitting around our homes today that we worship. Um, We do have stuffed cheetahs. I found this one uh, just the last few days roaming around our house. Uh, He has affectionately been named Mufasa by my youngest daughter. It's not like most cheetahs, though. Mufasa is really quite gentle um, and, and doesn't go after the other animals, and even sleeps in her bed. Um, but if I were to suggest to you that we give our allegiance to Mufasa and bow to him in worship, then you would rightly think, I need to go with my family on a little vacation, at the very least, right? Um, because this is not... A God. It's a toy. And something that represents you know, a real animal, but it's still been invented and produced by someone, somewhere. It has no power or authority in and of itself. But still it exists. I mean, I'm holding it, I'm touching and squeezing it. It exists as a stuffed animal. So when the Lord of all creation... When Yahweh says, you shall have no other gods before me, is he really saying that of all the gods that are out there, he comes first. And then all the other ones are sort of underneath him. Or is there more to it than that? The, the language of before me or, 
or other than me, that that can be challenging if we acknowledge that there are other gods or idols that exist alongside Yahweh. But the Bible emphasizes Deuteronomy 6, Joshua 23 are examples, an exclusive loyalty to the only God who actually exists. You should have no other gods, Elohim, in addition to or over and against me. I mean, so that helps in removing any possibility of, of relation to other supposed gods. Okay, these are gods that exist, but they don't really exist. They are projected as a god with some type of, of authority when in reality they are just an idol. An idol with power, but no real power. The Canaanite god, Baal. A good example of this. Baal was the god of of rain and thunder and fertility. So when the ground was actually drying up and the crops were scorched, then for the Canaanites who worshipped this god, that meant that Baal was dying. And when, when the rains would come and and everything would green up again, well then Baal was coming to life. So Baal, though he existed as as a personification for the people, did not actually exist. They worshipped an idol and did everything they could to control this idol. Control the world around them. Idolatry, having, having something, inventing something in which we place our trust in, instead of God, or alongside the only true God. This idol worship is the root of all sin. This idolatry is very powerful. It starts back in Genesis 3 with our first parents. Adam and Eve are told by Satan. They're convinced that they can share equal footing with the Creator God. And they could serve themselves and not Him. In fact, they'd be better off. They'd be happier that way. That they would enjoy a greater freedom if they could just obey themselves and their inner desires instead of God, right? They just needed to let it go, let it go, right? You know how that goes. Then all would be well, right? Wrong! This is not what happened. They were ensnared, they were captured by sin and cast out of the presence of the Lord. The companionship that they needed the most. They were not alone and free, as the song goes. They were isolated and enslaved by the idol worship of themselves. Um, So idols, so-called gods, they have very real power to enslave us. And we don't have to name these idols in order for them to exist. I'll give you a few examples of this. They, They don't really have to have a name like Baal or Molech or Zeus or... You know, Buddha. But very powerful idols nonetheless. How about the idol of approval? I guess we're kind of naming it that way. but An idol that tells us our lives are going to have meaning, purpose. We're going to have real worth if we are loved and respected by, and then fill in the blank, anything, anyone. It's an idol. It can be a big one. I have to lay this before the Lord often in my own life. The idol of approval. Where am I finding life, finding meaning? How about the idol of helping? Think about that for a second. You go, wait a minute, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? 
As Christians, we're supposed to be helping. And it's true, we are called to serve others. We should desire to do that. But if we find our worth and our life has actual meaning if we're helping and others are dependent upon us, then we may have an idol that's not the living God. How about work or religion? You know, my life has meaning. I have worth if I'm faithful to this certain set of rules or these moral obligations. I mean, anything that gives us a sense of, of significance, ultimate worth, meaning apart from the living God, then we have an idol in our lives. Why do we need this command? Because we are idol worshipers. John Calvin, reformer John Calvin, he said that the human heart is literally an idol factory. If it exists in creation, we can make an idol out of it. And we do. 1 John chapter 2, the apostle tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. So we can't underestimate the control that these idols have over us. Okay, we don't control them, they, they control us. And they do this in lots of ways. You've heard some of this. If we fail these gods, okay, put, put anything in this place, work, family, money, comfort, Religion, if we fail any of those gods, and we're going to feel guilty. We're going to be shackled with guilt. If something blocks that God, if someone, something or someone keeps that God from us, then we're going to get angry. Work, comfort, money, acceptance. If that's threatened in our lives, like we may lose it for good, then we're going to be fearful, really fearful. And then ultimately, if we lose those things, we're going to despair. So do you see any of those symptoms in your life right now? Be on the lookout for them. Anger, fear, guilt. They may very well point to an idol in your life that you've, you've placed alongside the living God. We need this word because of the presence of idolatry in our lives. But we also need to renew our commitment to the worship of the one true God. To do this on a regular basis. This was necessary for the people of Israel. The choice to follow the Lord, uh, it was laid before them again and again and again. Their idol worship didn't just disappear overnight. Our idol worship typically will not just disappear overnight. Covenant renewal must be a recurring practice in our lives. We're going to maintain this relationship, be devoted to God alone. This is why the Lord gives instructions uh, through the Apostle Paul to husbands and wives in marriage. Don't don't spend too long apart from one another, enjoying that physical union that you enjoy, because every time you enjoy that physical union, every time is a covenant renewal. Renewing the vows that you've made. You must be reminded of our our covenant, the exclusive choice we have to worship and serve the Lord. Joshua called the people to renewal. Listen to what he says in Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Were the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you find those words you know, painted on the wall or framed on many walls of our homes. If those words are true for you, those words are true for us as a local representation of Christ's body, then we must be diligent in covenant renewal. We do this each week, like we're doing this morning, gathering for worship. Each time we share in a, in a covenant meal together, we renew our commitment, our faith, and the Lord is strengthened. Our God does not share His glory with other gods. Because they're not gods. They're projections that divert our loyalty away from Him. Many of us have seen translators at work. Some of you have used a translator. Maybe you've gone on a trip and used a translator. That The church that my in-laws were a part of in Michigan, they had someone standing right over here off to the left of the stage signing to those in the first couple of rows there everything that the preacher or worship leader was saying. It was just fascinating to watch because when the, you know, the, the preacher would get excited and more animated and move around, well, then the translator would start to get a little bit more excited and move her hands faster. That's um, interesting. You know, translators don't uh, choose what it is they're going to say, typically, or even how they're going to say it most of the time. That's already chosen for them. They are, they're just the conduit, the channel for the message of another. Consider that the Lord Jesus Christ is always translating the message and intent of God the Father. But unlike our, our translators, our imperfect attempts at translation, Jesus translates perfectly. He represents the Father perfectly. John chapter 1 says the very Word became flesh. Hebrews 1 says that He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. So Jesus and the Father are one. Different persons, different roles, one God. Nature and power and glory. So as God appears in the Old Testament in the presence of a cloud and fire, and we hear His voice and the angel, it's all... It foreshadows His appearance in the Incarnation. The Lord Jesus. God has come as Savior and Deliverer in Jesus. He is Lord. And so the worship and the allegiance that belongs to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the name that is above every name. To have no other gods besides the Lord is to have no other Savior than Jesus. He is our Deliverer. To hear His words to us and worship Him and honor Him is to obey the first command. So Jesus is Lord and He is the source of life. To have no other gods, again, is to acknowledge, is to believe that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We can't pick and choose here what is what is true or what we want to believe about God and the person of Christ. Yet we seem to do this a lot. We seem to, to do this so often in our thoughts or in our study. 
You know I love Mexican food. Tacos, burritos. Chipotle is one of my favorite, you know, reasonably priced restaurants. And so when you go to Chipotle, you can pick your meat and you can pick whether you want brown or white rice and you can pick, you know, do you want beans or, or vegetables and you can pick what salsa and you can pick if you want sour cream. And, and so we, we, we pick and choose and many of us, even as Christians, go through life this way. We'll pick and choose what we want to believe. We'll put things along Christ as Savior, many of the idols that we've already mentioned. Sort of this Chipotle religion, Chipotle life. To think that truth is a matter of opinion, whatever I might be hungry for at the time. So to claim that the God of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or the Mormon variant is all one and the same, the same divine being as Christianity, just a different name, that cannot stand. Now there are many distinctives between the Christian faith and the religions that surround us, but central is the person and work of Jesus. And we must answer the same question that Jesus asked the Pharisees in Matthew 22. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? If he's just another teacher or another prophet or a really good role model, then he cannot deliver us. He must be Lord if he's going to give us life. In the Old Testament, the blood was sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled on the law itself, and on the people uh, as a seal of the covenant that they had made with the Lord. Uh, the sins of the people must be covered with blood. It is the blood of Christ, our substitute, that delivers us, gives us life. The life and death of Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So Moses, who stood on the mountain in Exodus 19, he would stand on a mountain with God again in the New Testament. And instead of ten words being given to him in the New Testament, it would just be one, along with Elijah, the three disciples who are present. What does he hear? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So there's no addition to the law. No subtracting from it. It's fulfilled in the divine Son of God who is worthy of worship. Demands the worship of no other gods. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Life, obedience to this first word, is found in the Lordship of Christ. Bowing to Him alone as our Savior. So what does obedience's command look like? It takes on several forms. I want to mention just a few this morning. The first is a heart loyalty, a love for God. We can put no other gods before or alongside of the one true God that we love above all else. Mark chapter 12, Jesus refers to that Shema here in the Old Testament as, as a summary of the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. We must choose to love Him. Again, this is... This is more than just emotional sentiment, but it certainly includes that. 
Okay, there are fatherly and, and motherly characteristics in the very nature of God. His love for us. So it would be, it would be silly, it would be unhuman for that love to merely be up here. Just a mental and academic thing. Okay, our love should, it should stir our emotions. We want to embrace our Savior. Shed tears of joy, shed tears of thankfulness when we worship, tears of sadness when we grieve, when we hurt the heart of our God. Thinking of 2 Samuel 7, in this last week, the guys are studying that, and you know, David is, is, is praying. He's just amazed at the Lord's grace. And with gratitude, he, who am I, Lord, that you would make this promise to me, to my house? He praises him. There's, you can just sense his emotion. But love is more than the emotions. You know, just ask a couple who's been married for any length of time. You'll discover that the emotion, the feeling of love may not be as trustworthy as you once thought. This is why there are promises in a marriage. Why there are promises in the covenant between God and His people. These promises demand faithfulness, whether it's clearly understood or not. Whether it feels good or not. Loving the Lord your God is to stick with Him. Nothing would dare come between you and Him. As a man for his wife. So God is jealous for his bride. I really like this one liner by theologian J.I. Packer. It says, Heart loyalty is the soil out of which holy living grows. Heart loyalty is the soil out of which holy living grows. This is where it starts. No other gods before me. Our hearts must be undivided, fully devoted to Christ alone. You know, do you have a favorite hobby, pastime, something that you really enjoy doing in your free time? I hope you have those things. They're good for, for rest, replenishment, ways to create, serve. But be watchful here. Watchful that hobbies do not displace Christ or snuggle up you know, alongside Him for the love and devotion of our hearts. Hobbies, especially those things we're good at and really like to do, it can be very difficult to, to separate or to let go of. So keep watch, pray over those things. Another thought on, on love and loyalty to God alone. God is at the very center of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He made it all. It all belongs to Him, including you and me. That also means that He is at the center of all that is true and real. Physically, spiritually, morally. Truth finds its source in the Creator. So when we, when we see Him this way, and we elevate Him to His rightful position as the source of all truth, then we cannot be moved. When we worship Him in faithfulness and obedience, we are exercising love in the, in the purest and most real way that we can. So very practically then, the, the best thing that you and I can do for our family members, for our friends, our neighbors, the most loving thing we could ever do for anyone is to put God first. To worship Him alone. That's our greatest act of love for our Savior. Our greatest act of love 
uh, towards each other, to give Him the loyalty of our hearts. Um, you shall have no other gods before Me. We obey this word through our love, our loyalty, also in our humble, patient trust in the Lord. The Apostle Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. We may not understand the evil around us. We may not understand the suffering or what we're called to endure. We understand this. But a humble heart well, looks here first and asks, what is my role? What is, what is it I need to confess? What do I need to remember about myself and about God? Before ever looking you know, at another or pointing out there. We patiently trust the Lord who has arranged, the one who's arranged the stars, that He has arranged our lives and the circumstances and events for His glory. This can be very, very difficult. And let's consider Job, just to, to really see if we understand the patience and trust. Our God is merciful. He's compassionate. Down to the most minute details of our lives. Do you trust Him in those places? We can say that right now as we're gathered for worship. We lift our hands in praise. Would you trust Him in those places, the minute details? If not, then, then those idols creep in. They grab for our devotion. Because that's where the fear, the anger, the despair. So idols, idols exist. Idols exist, but they don't really exist. They have no power, but they have great power when we give them our hearts. No one has a greater claim for your heart, for the loyalty and love and trust than the living God who has redeemed you. When Christ is first in our hearts, and that pride, that self-absorption, the fear, that all begins to dissolve and we have a, a renewed zeal to love, to serve. We will glorify God or, or we'll place ourselves or another created thing on the throne that He so rightfully occupies. So what idols, what so-called gods rule you this morning? The blood of Christ has broken those chains. Don't put them back on. Rest and live freely in His grace, giving the loyalty, honor in your heart exclusively to Him. So I want us to close this morning. We're going to recite those three verses of the Shema together. Now, we don't have this printed in your bulletin, so you'll need to turn to Deuteronomy 6 if you need those words. We're going to read them from there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, just verses 4, 5, and 6, 4 through 6, on page 151, actually, I got that written down here. Page 151. Please read these words with me as we close. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
Lord God, this is our desire, that you would impress this word, this command upon our hearts, that you and you alone would be worshipped and glorified as the one true God. Lord, forgive us when we so quickly chase after the idols that our own hearts produce, idols around us. Lord, bring us back. Renew our affections for You. Lord, we, we want to know You more. We want to understand You more with our minds. We want to love You with our hearts. Work this truth into our hearts that more would see uh, that You are the one true God who dwells among His people, who has made that possible through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, the very source of life. We pray in His name. Amen.